Welcome to the Let's Talk Seahawks podcast. Today is our Week 12 preview episode for our game against our old AFC West rival, the Raiders. Adam, let's talk Seahawks. The Raiders. Yeah, coming off a of bye week, which has been historically a very good position for us to be in. Uh, Pete Carroll, I think, has only lost once in his tenure with the Seahawks coming off of a bye week. So that makes him 11-1, and one, which is pretty darn good as far as records go. If you've been listening at all to, to the press conferences he's been given, they, they gave the guys a pretty long rest break over the Thanksgiving period to allow guys to heal up and get healthy. And then they've been kind of building them back slowly, was, was the term that he used, to try and get them geared up uh, for this week of practice. Uh, and it sounds like coming into it, we're going to be pretty healthy. We uh, we managed ourselves well on the bye week, and you know we're sitting tied with the uh, for the lead in the NFC West, technically half a game back from the uh, surging San Francisco 49ers. We're still in that playoff race, and right now we're sitting at, at, with that last wild card spot. But but uh, all things considered, looking pretty good. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the bye week for this team came at a perfect time. We were healthy going into the bye week. It allowed everybody to get fresh. Not a lot of people were really rehabbing injuries. So I think the bye week came at a great time mid-season, setting us up for this run to the playoffs. I'm really excited to see what they're going to do coming out of it and the little changes that they're going to make to keep things effective. Let's not have a hangover from that Bucks game. Let's hit the ground running. That's really what I'm looking for in this last half of the season. But some things did happen. We do have some news to talk about from around the league. This sort of affects the Seahawks if you look down the road. The New York Jets have a new starting quarterback. Yeah, it's uh, Zach White. What's his name? Mike White. Mike White, uh, who I think is already didn't he start? He started a couple of games for him last year, didn't he? Or this year, maybe he does have a few games that he started in the yeah, league. So he's, yeah, he's 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 been around. I, I think the big the big picture here is, is that uh, Zach Wilson uh, has some growing up to do. If you if you kind of read between the lines on this benching, it, it really looked like his attitude was why he got benched. Um, he had a comment after their last, uh, their most recent loss. I think the question asked to him was, did you let the defense down? And I don't know whether or not that was intended to be, did the offense let the defense down? Or if the question was, I didn't, cause I didn't hear it. I know what the question was, but I didn't hear the press conference or if it was pointed in, and to say, did you Zach Wilson let the defense down and his, but it, either way, his response was really curt. And he just said, no, that was it. No expounding on there. No, you know, we could have played better. Nothing like that. Didn't take any ownership for the failings of the offense. Just said, no, I, Zach Wilson, didn't let the defense down, which I think was a big enough knock uh, there. For all the the Jets' struggles, uh, Zach Wilson really hasn't been the reason that they're losing. He hasn't been the reason that they're winning, although if you look at the, the games that they've won, because they I think his record right now is 5-1 and one as a starter. So it's not like he's been playing bad either. He just... As the second overall pick in in, the, in last year's draft, you might expect a little bit more out of him. But uh, he hasn't he hasn't really been playing poorly. So I don't think this is a benching because he's been playing bad. Uh, because he has again has a winning record as a starter. Then uh, the head coach Robert Sala come out came out uh, recently or, or a couple I guess it was a few days ago and said he's not going to name a starter uh, for this week's game yet. I think 24 hours or maybe a little bit less after that. Following that, uh, it was announced that uh, indeed Mike White will be starting and Zach Wilson has been benched. Uh, and I think you can read into that what you what you want, but again, I think that it, that it was it was an attitude thing. I'm, I'm sure that he went to Zach and said, "Hey, we're thinking about going another way." And I'm sure you know Zach threw a hissy fit and probably you know 
slammed a door or, or you know dropped his his binky i don't know but uh i do think this this was an attitude thing but again it's not like anybody's been talking about his his play on the field it's it's his play off the field that has been <laughs> what's been grabbing headlines for the most part yeah for me it comes down to maturity i think that's a key component in leadership when it comes to the nfl you've got a lot of guys who are in their early mid 20s and only the cream of the crop are the guys who stay into their late 20s and into their 30s. So the majority of NFL players are in that mid-20s range. Now, I don't know about you, but I may not have been the most mature individual in my 20s. So that's why it's a key component of NFL leadership. With some of the things that have come out about Zach Wilson, you could say that he hasn't showed an extraordinarily high amount of maturity in any aspect of his life. Except for maybe some of the people that he's dating. <laughs> sorry, so, sorry. Um, Except for maybe some of his preferences. Yeah, that's right, sorry, say. yeah, there you go. Yes. Family show. Um, but like you said, I think the maturity played into it. They may have already been thinking about this because though he had not been playing, quote, bad, he had not been playing well, and he wasn't out there leading the team. Maybe the team was on a down slump. That New England game looked horrible. You have to find somebody who can lead the team and have the team playing up to the potential that they have. They had a great start. Was that a fluke or not? Let Mike White come in. Lead the offense the way that it's designed. Execute the game plan. If that team looks efficient, if they look like they're playing NFL caliber football, then yes, the problem was Wilson. But if they come out and they look like they looked against New England, then there's some more fundamental problems that they need to figure out. His benching is about attitude. I, I think his benching is more about attitude than it is about his play on the field. Yeah, like I was saying, it comes down to maturity. And that's not something you'd expect from other individuals in the NFL because you'd think that your coaching staff on <laughs> NFL teams yeah, would also act in a mature manner. And we had some news come out this past week. It actually happened on this past Sunday from when we were recording. And that was the Arizona Cardinals offensive line coach and running game coordinator was fired due to some unwanted sexual contact while in Mexico City. Yeah, so uh, apparently the team was out at some point Sunday. They, I believe it was a waitress. He was the, the, this this gentleman's gentleman. Uh, that's a stretch, stretching the term as, as far as it can go. Groped an individual. And look, credit where credit's due. Because I think if, if this had happened even five years ago, I don't know that we would have heard about it. I do know that we probably would not have heard about it during the season. And I do, don't think the coach would have been fired. Uh, in this case, the incident happened Sunday. He was fired that day and put on a plane Monday morning. Credit to the, the Arizona Cardinals organization for, you know, kicking him out the door right away. Uh, because it's just a bad look. Look, you know, I mean... I think that the NFL's gotten away with this, you know, boys will be boys attitude for, you know, close to 70 years and uh, it's not going to fly anymore. And I, so credit to the Arizona Cardinals organization for, for stepping up and just saying, Hey, no, that's not, that's not allowed. Get out. Yeah. I hope the NFL follows suit and no other team brings him in. He's not getting, I, I'll say this. I, 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 I would be surprised if he didn't get a job somewhere else down the road. He's not going to get hired by an NFL team this year. No, and I don't think he should be hired by an NFL team in the foreseeable future. Oh, I agree. But then again, I also don't think Deshaun Watson should be in the NFL. So the NFL definitely has a problem when it comes to 
misconduct against women. There are plenty of players and coaches who have domestic violence charges. There are plenty of people who have issues like Deshaun Watson, who should not be in the NFL because it is a privilege to play professional sports. We need to have maturity in our actions as adult human beings. And these individuals have not learned that yet. Yeah, I think, like, I, you know, I mean, like I said, credit where credit's due. I do think there's there's obviously a little asterisk to it there because there are certainly owners that we know about who I won't get into right now and players that we know about, uh, again, who, that I won't get into now, who have certainly done this and, and, and much worse that are still in the league or involved in the league in some way. Maybe this is a little bit of a scapegoat kind of situation where he's someone that isn't known well enough, you know, isn't a big name. So getting rid of him wasn't, uh, difficult to do from that aspect, but this guy was an integral part of the coaches. I mean, they, you know, this is their their offensive line coach. He's also their run game coordinator. I mean, this this does not help the Cardinals on the field to have gotten rid of this guy. But I do think it shows some growth from the from the organization and the NFL as a whole for him to be have have been kicked out. Yeah, I agree. And we're not going to give him any more time. I hate going through this every time we have to go through this because I'm pretty sure I've made my thoughts pretty clear on misconduct and violence in general. Yeah, the NFL doesn't make it easy for its fans sometimes. No. We did have a few transactions over this past, I guess, two weeks through the bye week. We reinstated cornerback Trey Brown from the physically unable to perform list. So he's been practicing. Let's see when we see him on the field. Who knows when that'll be. We released wide receiver Kevin Cassis from the practice squad. And he's been on and off that all season. He very well may come back later in the, the year as well. He signed defensive lineman Jared Hewitt to the practice squad. I thought he played pretty well in preseason. I'm glad he's back and getting another look at by the team. We designated linebacker John Radigan to return to practice. So with this designation, the team has three weeks to decide what they're going to do. Are they going to activate him, reinstate him, put him back on the roster? Or are they going to put him on season-ending injured reserve? So he's out there practicing. Once again, we don't know when he'll make it back on the field if he does this season. Hopefully he does. Great special teams player. Was excited to see what he could do actually at linebacker for us. So I'm excited to see what comes out of the John Radigan situation. We also placed wide receiver D. Eskridge on injured reserve. He has a broken hand. That happened actually today. We're recording this on Saturday and that just happened. He's out at least four weeks. Hopefully he gets that hand right. Uh, they can get that break all healed up. Since we're doing this on Saturday, we actually have the news of the practice squad game day elevations. And so for this week, linebacker Vi Jones and wide receiver Laquan Treadwell have been activated from the practice squad to the active game day roster. I think there's some news that with D. Eskridge being out, perhaps Laquan Treadwell will be out there returning punts. So we may actually get to see him in the special teams game. Yeah, I, I like both these players. I like the potential of both these players. I'm excited to see what they can do on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think the big takeaway from this is that the Seahawks are getting healthy. Not, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of teams are dealing with, with injuries as the season goes on. We're really not. I mean, minus obviously Eskridge going to CIR, uh, we're getting reinforcements as opposed to losing guys. Yeah, and then if you look at the injury report, like you said, it's light. We had D. Eskridge was ruled out for this game. That was before they placed him on injured reserve. Now he's obviously out because he is on injured reserve. And then a late addition to that was right tackle Abe Lucas was added to the injury report today as questionable due to an illness. So if he's unable to go, more than likely it'll be Jake Curran starting there at right tackle. 
and he's going to be lining up across from Max Crosby. So that definitely could be something to watch there if he is unable to go. So uh, send out all those healing vibes to Abe Lucas because I really want our big rookie right tackle in there because he's been playing great this year. Yeah, Take your vitamins and hydrate, boss, because we'd, we'd much rather have you out there. Not, nothing against Jake Caron, but that is a step down. The Raiders have a pretty, pretty light uh, injury report this week as well. Uh, the two guys of note are going to be their starting middle linebacker, Luke Masterson, uh, and starting running back, Josh Jacobs, both of which were limited in practice this week. Uh, Masterson with rib uh, rib injury and uh, Jacobs with a calf injury that he's kind of been dealing with most of the season. Uh, they also have a backup tackle, uh, Colton Miller, who was on the practice report, limited participation, uh, and Kendall Vickers, uh, backup defensive tackle. The big one to watch there, I think, is going to be Josh Jacobs. Uh, like I said, this is, a, this is an injury that he's been dealing with on and off for the whole season. I don't really expect that to limit him much in this game, but it's possible that it can, uh, and that can only mean good things for the Seahawks. Yeah, I agree. And in my book, questionable means there's a more than likely chance they're going to play. So I'm expecting to see Jacobs out there. Our five keys to success to win against the Las Vegas Raiders start with number one. We have to cover Devontae Adams. Limit his production. Yeah, you'd think that kind of goes without saying, but Devontae Adams is really the only pass catcher that matters on the Vegas Raiders, and he still week after week get, goes off for 100-plus yards a game uh, and eight-plus catches because he's just that good. Pete Carroll said it himself. This is probably one of the best guy that they're going to see all season at the position. Uh, he really just can do everything well. He's a great deep threat. He's a great hands catcher. Uh, he's good over the middle. He's fast. He's strong. I mean, he can do it all. And uh, I know that it's – I think we went back and forth a little bit with this. I, I know that it's not likely that the Seahawks are going to double cover somebody because that's really not the game plan that they use. But I do think this is a situation where we need to look a little bit at bracket coverage, possibly double covering him, putting two guys on him, and then playing man the rest of the way on the field because outside of him, they've got uh, their backup tight end, Foster Moreau, and Max – I can't remember his name. Mac Collins. Man, I don't know why I can't flood that guy's name. Um, the offense is going to go as Devontae Adams goes. Now, look, he can get, he can go off for, for 100-plus yards in a game and they can still lose, but it's definitely a lot better if he doesn't go off for 100-plus yards and two touchdowns. We need to do everything we can to limit the damage that he does on the field. Yeah, agreed. And a way to limit that is to control what the other team's offense is going to do. And we can do that by our second key to success, which is build a lead early. We need to get out, hopefully, two scores on them and have them forced to have to pass the ball. The Seahawks have been better this this season when we have started out with a lead and kept that lead. Not to say that we can't come from behind, but that's not how this team is built. Look, I'm not, not knocking Geno Smith. The man deserves all the props and praise that you can possibly give him for how he's played this year. But he has not shown us that he is capable of leading this team to a big comeback when we're down late in the game. Not that I don't think he could do it, but I would rather not put him in that kind of a position. And if, like you were saying, we build a lead early, get a couple scores up there, we're, they're not going to be able to have their run game be as successful as they like. We're not gonna be, that's going to take away the play action. And we're going to be able to focus on limiting Devontae Adams, which is going to really limit their passing offense. Uh, I think that the way to win games for the Seahawks for the rest of the season is to score first and score last, but score first. 
Yeah, this is a different team when they're playing from behind. We saw that in the Buccaneers game. I think it goes to pressure on Shane Waldron. I don't think he's a good play caller when we're playing from behind. Yeah, I think it's evident. Clearly his game he his game plan changes pretty pretty quickly and not for the better when we're behind in the game. Yeah, I think he just panics. I think he says, okay, well, we just got to do something to get back in this game. We got to get back in this game. Instead of execute your game plan, trust the other side of the ball, your defense to do their job, execute your game plan, and it will get you there. I think that's something he needs to work on. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think we can even take that a little further because when we, even if we're behind, we're not doing ourselves any favor by changing up what works well on offense because what works well on our offense is establishing the run, utilizing our tight ends in the passing game, and then going over the top when we have those opportunities. And when we decide not to do those three things and just start passing it every down, trying to get go down the field, uh, the, the defense sees it coming and they stop us because it hasn't been very successful. Whereas if we stick to our game plan and do what I just said, we have been very successful. We have mentioned the tight ends and our keys to success almost every week, and we have been right every week. We're not going to mention specifically this week, but I think it's because everyone knows that we think utilizing the tight ends is the way to win games. That's because it is a bonus key to success. Anyway, so our third key to success is we have to control and win in the trenches. Yeah, look, we've already talked about gaining a lead and what that's going to mean for us, but we've got to make sure and dominate that line of scrimmage. We we may be going into this game with a backup tackle, uh, going up against their number one pass rusher, Max Crosby, who has been a game wrecker this year. Uh, I mean, even though it doesn't reflect in the Raiders' uh, record, he has been just tearing up the line of scrimmage, getting sacks, pressures on the quarterback. And they've got another guy who has up to this year, although he hasn't really done much this year as far as the numbers game goes, but Chandler Jones is, is no slouch on the other side either. So we've got to make sure and... Again, if we're going to have our tight ends out there for every down, which I think we should offensively, let them help. Let them be that help in, in that blocking game, um, and you know keep keep our uh, running back back there to chip if necessary. But we've got to make sure that they're not just pushing us back and pushing us back. Yeah, control the trenches, win the game. That's been a basic tenet of football since before the forward pass was a legal play. You have to win at the point of impact. You have to control where the line of scrimmage is set. Your offensive line has to have a clean pocket for the quarterback. It's all fundamentals. Control the trenches, win the game. Our fourth key to success kind of goes against that for the other team, and that's we have to get after the quarterback. We need to break down the pocket that their offensive line establishes. We need to put pressure on Carr. We need to have hurries, hits, sacks. We need him thinking about our defensive line and our linebackers every single play. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, not to say Derek Carr is not not a, a good quarterback, because I do think he is. I think he's better than he gets credit for. But like all quarterbacks, they don't want to get hurried. I mean, you know, the more time they have back there to sit and, and, and go over their reads, the better they're going to be. And with him, especially with him, because of the way that their offense is built right now with hand it to Josh Jacobs or pass it to Devontae Adams, if we're taking, if we're getting after him so that he can't sit back and watch Devontae's route develop, there, then it's not going to be successful. If we can get after him, it's going to force him to have to move in that pocket and he is going to have to scramble and try and find somewhere else to go with the ball. And that's not his game. Our fifth key to success is to win the turnover battle. We have seen this work and not work. We technically won the turnover battle in Germany against the Buccaneers. 
That did not come out in our favor. Yeah, we, we, we did two to one, but but we didn't capitalize. Exactly. So let's add a caveat to that. Win the turnover battle and capitalize on forced turnovers. Yeah, if our defense is giving us extra chances on offense, we need to take those opportunities and build up that lead. Again, you know, we already talked about jumping out to a lead early, but winning the turnover battle and capitalizing that goes right with that because if we can maximize those chances we have on offense and put up points, even if it's just a field goal, but getting extra points on offense is going to, again, force their game to be, become one-dimensional. They're going to have to focus more on the pass, taking away those opportunities for Josh Jacobs, and that's just going to be better for us on on defense because we're going to be able to limit what they do. Exactly. And that's why we do the keys to success. It's things to watch for. Now we just need to see how successful that can be. If we look at the position matchups, I think the position matchups favor the Seahawks. Starting out with quarterback, I think Geno Smith is playing heads and tails above Derek Carr right now. Yeah, I, I don't think that's really much up for debate. Geno Smith is a, is a top five quarterback in the league as far as the numbers go. Uh, Derek Carr is not. Uh, Derek Carr is one of those guys that I think has been very up and down, very inconsistent in his career. He is certainly capable of do it, of having great games, uh, but he has definitely uh, had fewer of those this year than in past. The nod goes to Geno easily. As far as running backs go, I also gave this to the Seattle Seahawks. I think our running back room is better. And Josh Jacobs has a nagging injury. So I got to give this to young Ken Walker and the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I, I, I actually went with a push on this because even though, yeah, uh, Josh is dealing with that with that calf issue, he's still one of the hardest runners in this league. Uh, and he is one of those guys that's really taken advantage of the opportunities he's been given this year. I think uh, if you go back to the preseason, it looked like he might have been the odd man out in the running back room. Uh, they were trying to get more of their uh, their uh, fourth-round draft pick, Zamir White. They were trying to, uh, I think when Kenyon Drake was still there, they were trying to utilize him more. Uh, but Josh said, just basically said, no, this is my running back room. I'm leader of it. And, and you know, took the ball and ran with it. You know, pardon the pun. Uh, but uh, look, he, especially in the red zone, he's one of those guys that has a nose for the end zone. Um, nothing against Ken Walker, but I've seen it more from Josh Jacobs up to this point. Uh, so I, I, I went with a push on this just because I do think that Ken Walker is coming on. Uh, and, you know, Josh Jacobs is Josh Jacobs. Yeah, for our wide receivers, I decided to go with the Seattle Seahawks. If you look, the Raiders wide receiver room is pretty thin. They really only have one guy and then a supporting cast. So I went with the Seahawks on wide receiver. Yeah, I'm just not as bullish of, of this uh, with this matchup, I guess, because I also did a push on this one. Devontae Adams is still Devontae Adams. He is consistently getting 100 plus yards a game. We really haven't seen that from our guys, even though I do think we have a deeper wide receiver room. We don't have that alpha like they do. So I give it a push. As far as the tight ends go, I think all three of our tight ends could start for the Raiders right now. So for me, tight ends clearly go to the Seattle Seahawks, though it is nice to see Jacob Hollister come back into Seattle. Oh, that's right. We forgot to mention that. That's right. Jacob Hollister is making his his revenge debut. We'll see if he's out there because I think he's listed at third on the depth chart. But yeah, I mean, I our, our tight ends have already shown this year that they can they can take over a game. So yeah, I'll give it to us. As far as the offensive line is concerned, I think we really need to watch that Abe Lucas injury designation. If he's able to recover from this illness, I think it clearly goes to the Seattle Seahawks. I think if he's not able to go, I don't know if it tilts in favor of the Raiders, but it definitely goes to an even matchup, a push for me. But right now I'm going to put it with the Seahawks, 
hoping that Abe Lucas is ready to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I definitely gave the nod to us with the caveat that let's see what happens with Abe Lucas this Sunday. Now, the defensive line is one place where I think the Raiders have good depth. They have good starters. Max Crosby, Chandler Jones. I like their tackles. I like their tackle depth. It baffles my mind that Tillery is so far down the depth chart that he is. For me, I think the defensive line matchup goes to the Raiders. Yeah, it's really hard not to give it to him. Like all the points that you mentioned, the name recognition, the guys they have up front, but also the depth that they have. Uh, I too am a little shocked about Tillery being so far down the depth chart. I think that has more to do with him needing to learn the playbook than, than talent. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him move up that depth chart as the, as the season goes on, but I'm also going to give this nod to the Raiders. I gave linebackers to the Seahawks. I know we've had some issues with our linebackers at times this year, but I think the addition of Bruce Irvin and the leadership that he brought really took our linebackers to the next level. They're playing great. I'm going to give the linebacker matchup to the Seahawks. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with the linebackers is there was the bag, especially with you know the missed tackles. And I think Cody Barton has got a lot of things said about him this this year. I don't think he's played as bad as, as some people do. Certainly the numbers don't show that he's been playing that bad. But I do think since the addition of Bruce Irvin, they've definitely come on a little bit. Uh, and I think having Achuna Nwosu uh, in that linebacking core as that rush linebacker kind of pushes us over the top. So yeah, I also give it to us. Now the defensive backs on the Seattle Seahawks have been playing above the level anybody thought that they would play this year. Looking at our DBs, I'm giving it across the board to the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, see, and again, I'm just I'm just not as bullish on this on this matchup. Uh, I agree that our our backs have been playing better. Uh, they're they're certainly have been playing well above what people thought they were going to play. But there are still guys on that Raider side. Rocky Sin is a fantastic cornerback. They also uh, recently signed uh, Sidney Jones, who we released, who I think is a great guy. He's not listed as a starter, but I do think he will see him during this game. They've got depth, more depth than we do right now. Uh, and, they, and they've got guys that can do it. They've been in every game this year almost. Their secondary hasn't been giving up a lot of yards. Um, I'm going to go ahead with a push on this, mainly because I think the matchup doesn't favor us with uh, Devontae Adams. All right, and then special teams. I mean, I'm going to go Seahawks. Yeah. I always go Seahawks. You can't go against Seahawks when Myers is kicking well and uh, Dixon has yeah. the chance to boot a ball 70 yards. Right. Look, if we were playing the Ravens this week, I might have to say it's a push because... They have the who is ostensibly the greatest kicker of all time in Justin Tucker. But other than that, I'm going to pretty much give it every week to the Seahawks. And then as far as the coaching staff goes, Pete Carroll is Pete Carroll. He's amazing. He's a Hall of Fame coach. Sure, Josh McDaniels has some good potential. He has some good pedigree coming out of the Belichick system. But I, for me, it's a no-brainer. It's the Seahawks. Look, Josh, yeah, look, Josh Daniels is, is, I think, a very good offensive coordinator in the right system. And that is the... Uh, Bill Belichick-led Patriots system. He hasn't shown me that he can do anything outside that system, and certainly the record that the Raiders have this year doesn't help him. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, our, our coaching staff, far and away better. All right. What's your prediction for the game? I, you know, gosh, this was tough for me. I've been battling with this all week uh, because I really want to think that we're going to come out of this by firing, but I do think this is going to be a tough one for us. I think uh, the Raiders are better than the record shows, and I do think that they're a tough matchup for us. So I still gave us the win, 23-27 Seahawks. I, but I do think the Raiders are going to be able to get into the end zone. But I do think that we're going to come out with a win. Interesting. We have the same spread on our points, though different points. For me, I put the Las Vegas Raiders at 20 points and the Seattle Seahawks at 24. I think it'll be a, a defensive battle. I think the teams are going to go back and forth. But 
there you go. That's what I have. 20 to 24. Yeah, I think four points is where Vegas has it. I think that Vegas is usually right on with this kind of stuff. The key, again, for us is going to be scoring first, and I think, again, scoring last. If we can get out to a lead early, and then we can control the clock by running late with, with Kenneth Walker, and he can get into the end zone to, to shut it out, I, I, I think that's going to be how we win this game. And I expect to see, I expect that's what we're going to see. Well, there you have it. This has been the Let's Talk Seahawks podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you after the game. As always, go Hawks. Go Hawks.